welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. tonight. Lord God, we thank you for the atmosphere that we feel in this place. We thank you for your sweet presence that's here. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, Lord, to hear what you want us to receive tonight. Lord, to take this word and put it in our heart and guard it, Lord, that we might move forward just to be better Christians, better followers of you. We give you glory and praise. Ask for you to just move throughout the rest of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you all here. Thank you, Sister Nikki. <laughs> so tonight, if you looked at your packet or you looked at the screen up there, we're talking about healthy relationships. Now, before I started to work on this lesson, I assumed by the title, one thing that was majorly wrong. I assumed it was mostly going to be about marriages, and while, yes, it's going to touch on spouses tonight, they are not the focal point. The heart of this study is all about relationships and how we should approach them as a child of God, and the main theme throughout tonight is love. I did ask them to sing the song that they just ended with. Can we not think of a greater love than the Lord's? And tonight, what we're going to focus on is how we give that love to each other, so you all, we all need to do better, including myself. So that's what I'm about to talk about. As I was preparing for this lesson, the Lord was dealing with my heart, reminding me that I'm far from perfect. I do feel honored to be able to speak on this subject, but I was also very humbled as God was constantly pointing things out to me throughout my preparing, saying, pay attention, Amanda. You need to focus on this too. Look, child, you need to change this. I need you to do better at this for me. I want to admit that I know I'm not the best example of what we're studying tonight. I want to be clear that I struggle with some of these concepts. I'm not the best friend, wife, sister, daughter, coworker, child of God that I can be. Tonight I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you, if not more. I'm hoping to embrace what we discussed tonight and improve as I keep maturing as a person and as a follower of Jesus. I hope you'll allow me the courtesy to make mistakes as I will do the same with you. One thing I would like to make clear before we dive in is there are going to be questions in the packet that I believe you should be answering personally and reflecting on. We're going to skip some of the questions to allow you time away from here to focus on this lesson. I won't be asking you to share tonight because I think this is a very personal subject we're going to talk about. I just ask you to take the time to sit down, focus on these questions, and answer them with honesty and with vulnerability within the next couple weeks to find out what you need to be working on as an individual. So, 
Let's begin. If you will go into the first page of your packet, it will say section one, the foundation of healthy relationships. So we're in that top section there. I'm going to read that section and fill out those blanks. It says, God gives us the blueprint for successful relationships. That's your first blank there, relationships. Two commandments to consider are found in Matthew 22. We must first love who? We just need to fill this one out. We must first love God. <laughs> God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This first act of obedience helps us with the second commandment that we love our neighbor. Very good. Neighbor as ourselves. So those blanks were relationships, God, and then neighbor. You could put up the next slide for me, please. So Matthew 22, 35 through 40 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we are going to take a minute and fill out questions one and three. So number one says, how shall we love the Lord our God? And it's written plainly right here, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. All of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And the verse in the Old Testament says, with all of our strength as well. And then skipping down to question three, what is the second greatest commandment? We see, love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. So the first thing I want to look at within this scope is the commandment that the Lord laid down. Did you know there's actually some confusion amongst some believers that Jesus' commandments in the New Testament stamp out the commandments of the old? I was doing research, and I was very surprised. Some people believe that Jesus came to free us from the restrictive commandments of the Old Testament by replacing them with a simple commandment to love. I actually read an article where a pastor said, quote, Jesus issued his new commandment as a replacement for everything in the existing list, including the Big Ten. Just as his new covenant replaced the old covenant, Jesus' new commandment replaced all the old commandments. Participants in the new covenant, us Christians, are not required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of their Bibles. Can you imagine you know what, you can kill, but I just need you to love. And you know what, you can take my name in vain, but as long as you're loving, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so as we see in the New Testament, Jesus definitely issues commandments throughout the New Testament. We see it throughout the book of John. But his, uh, his new commandments didn't eradicate the old, didn't get rid of them. There are three reasons for this. Next slide. Number one, the commandment to love was not new. Number two, the Ten Commandments are all about love. And number three, Jesus' new commandment was the how-to factor. 
So we're going to break uh, each of these reasons down. Next si slide, please. So reason one, the commandment to love was not new. All the way back, you can hit the next button. All the way back in Leviticus 19, God gave Israel direct instruction on how to live. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children or your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God commanded the Israelites to show love to each other. There's other Old Testament scriptures that are listed here at the bottom in Deuteronomy uh, that talk about love, both God's love and the necessity for people to love him and to love others. Our reason number two, love, um, the, two the Ten Commandments are all about love. So the overall intent of the Ten Commandments is to teach us how to show love. The first and great commandment from Jesus in the New Testament is to love God with all of our being, which is what the first four commandments teach us. We love him by putting him above everything else, commandment number one, by not making or worshiping idols, two, by showing proper reverence toward his name, three, and by worship, worshiping him on his holy Sabbath day, which is four. And then the last six commandments teach us how to show love to other people. Honor your father and your mother, you shall not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, cover your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's goods. So if we follow the first great commandment from Jesus and follow God, you will follow those first four commandments. And if you follow the second commandment from Jesus and love our, your neighbor as yourself, you will follow the last six commandments. The Ten Commandments and the New Commandment from Jesus go hand in hand. And then reason number three, Jesus' new commandment was the how-to factor. A closer look at John 13, 34 makes the new commandment clear. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Love wasn't new, but Jesus' example of love in action was new. One of the reasons he came to earth was to be the perfect example of what love is. The gospel accounts of his life give us many examples of his perfect love, which culminated in his sacrificial death for us, the greatest example of love anyone could ever give. So Jesus didn't come to do away with or replace the commandments. He says that in Matthew 5, 17, says it. They just build the foundation for them. In the very basic sense, if we follow those two commandments, we will naturally follow the rest. It even says in verse 40 that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So literally everything else is dependent on them. Jesus came to fulfill that law. John 15.10 says he came to show us how to keep them. Christians are called to be disciples of the master teacher, Jesus Christ, and since Jesus was clear that he obeyed his father's commandments, then for us to truly follow him, we must obey the father's commandments as well. The second thing that's important to point out in this section is that God desired relationship with us from the very beginning. He couldn't end creation without creating Adam and Eve and desired a relationship with them. He even loved them and us so much that he created us in his own image. And Genesis 1, 29 and 30 tells us he gave them dominion over the living things of the earth. I love you so much, I'm just going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you this dominion. 
Although God desired to have a relationship with us, he also recognized that Adam would be alone and didn't wish that for him. He created Eve for Adam, and both of these relationships are important. Our relationship with others and our relationship with God. Throughout the Bible, we see examples of all kinds of relationships, and they're examples of the kind of relationships God wants to have with his people. We see bride and bridegroom, father and son, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, friendships, siblings, strangers, etc. And the list goes on. If you put up the next slide. And Matthew 22, 39, our, back to our scripture for this section, God provides the framework for the most important foundation in any relationship. You can hit next. Selflessness. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to even share my fries with my husband, the person I love most in the world. <laughs> so I'm not the best at selflessness. I can be a very stubborn person. We know this. He's stubborn too. It's okay. We're working on it. <laughs> but a healthy relationship by Jesus' standards, the book says this, and I really, really liked it, is one of giving, serving, and preferring the other person above yourself. I really liked that word prefer. That word is so powerful to me. It's a choice. I will prefer you over me. I will prefer your wants, your needs, what's important to you above my own thoughts and opinions. Now, while relationships are built on more than that, the foundation for all of them is to love one another. So what does that mean in real life? How do we love someone we don't know? How do we love someone we know but don't like? And should we continue to love someone who has hurt us? These questions may challenge us in our relationships, but God helps us navigate them when we pursue loving him and loving others. And he shows us a roadmap in our next section. So if you will get on to section two there, called the Enduring Power of Love. All healthy Christian relationships depend on the same component, having Christ-like love for others. That's your first blank, Christ-like love for others. With Christ's love, we are, first blank, patient, second blank, kind, and we keep no record of wrongs. So those blanks were Christ-like, then patient, kind, and wrongs. Now I'm going to be the first to admit that two of these are not three of my or two of my strong suits. One of them was actually a kryptonite when I was younger. Anybody want to guess which one it is? And my brother said real loud, patience. <laughs> yes, patience. <laughs> I still struggle with that one. And it's true what they say, never pray for patience, right? I'd never heard that before, and I made the mistake of praying for patience. Or to be fair, I'd probably heard it and didn't listen, you know, growing up. You're in church, you hear a lot of things. You don't really pay attention until you're older. So in my early 20s, I set out to change some things about myself. I'd gotten out of a relationship, and I had figured out I hadn't been single or on my own since I was 16. So I figured it was time to do that. <laughs> and work on myself a bit. In the midst of that journey, I realized how impatient I was for so many things, tangible and intangible, and thus I prayed for patience. Big mistake. Wouldn't you know, 
you pray for something, God's going to deliver it. And he delivered in a big way. Ask and you shall receive. At the end of those two years that I was alone, Rex and I started to get closer. And it then took my husband eight long months for him to even ask me to date him. I'm not even talking about proposing nothing, just to date, just to date. Eight months. <sighs> if you take anything away from tonight, if you want to get better at patience, just work on it alone. Do not ask the Lord to help you, okay? Just do it on your own, all right? Don't say I didn't warn you. But on a serious note, reflecting back to our section, we do want to have a Christ-like love for others, and God gives us a great example of what that entails in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most famous passages of the Bible. It's the most popular passage read at weddings. We even had my grandpa read it at ours. It's beautiful. It's absolute, as all the Bible is. It's a reminder of how we should be. But what is astounding to me is that the most quoted romantic passage of the Bible was not written for a man and a wife. As I was studying this, I was like, whoo, okay, Lord. It was not intended as a vow between a marital union. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the church of Corinth. If you know any history of the church of Corinth, it was rife with issues. Partisanship, incest, prostitution, celibacy within marriage, divorce, idolatry, chaos in worship, inequality, and the list goes on and on. Paul's letters, and specifically the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, are addressing the entire body of believers, and that message still holds true today. So how do we truly love those around us? How do we love those that are difficult? How do we continue to show love to those closest to us after we get comfortable around them for a time? We turn to 1 Corinthians 13 for our guide. You can put up the next slide, please. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So in your, um, in your packet, in our section, we're going to answer questions one and two. So question number one says, what are we without love? We are nothing, nothing without love. You could also put down that you are a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, which nobody wants to be. My sister played cymbals um, sometimes, not all the time, in marching band. Nobody likes them, okay? Nobody likes them. They're loud. They're obnoxious. And number two, and you could fill this on your own because the list is long, but what are some aspects of love? We just read them. Patience. It is patient. It is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. And the list goes on and on. Uh, section two, these qu questions three and four to me really stuck out to me, so I hope you take some time to reflect. Which of the attribu attributes of love do you think is easiest to live out, and which one is most difficult? So I think this is different for every single person, so I hope you take some time to reflect on that and think about what you need to work on um, in that aspect of love. 
So firstly, we're going to look at the word love itself. In today's world, the word love can be thrown around pretty carelessly. The word love can be used as a verb. I love ice cream so much. Or as an abstract noun. Love is so confusing. As a verb, however, there is no distinction between loving pizza or a household pet or loving God. It's important to note that Paul uses the Greek word agape to describe love. It has one singular meaning, putting the needs of others ahead of one's own. You can put that Put that, sorry, put that slide up. Agape was at the heart of the Christian experience. It shaped the Christian's understanding of God's own character, and it was the chief expression that one Christian would use towards a fellow believer and the world. The application of this kind of love was for the daily interactions of the people. It was for every believer in church, at home, at work, and in play. It is also for our congregation. Can you imagine if we would do the same practice? Our expression would be agape towards each other. I put you before me. And we are commanded. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you feel like it. We are commanded to love our neighbors just as we love the Lord. When I was a kid, I thought neighbor, which maybe some of you did too, literally meant your neighbor, someone who lives next to you, right? I thought, oh, that'll be easy. Rache, one of my close childhood friends, one of Megan and I's uh, close childhood friends, lived in the house right next door. Piece of cake. We grew up with sleepovers, swimming in the summers, sledding in the winters, birthday parties, endless playing when kids used to play outside, you know. I could easily love her and show her Jesus through it. Okay, Lord, no worries. However, I grew up, as we all unfortunately do, and I quickly learned that the term neighbor in the Bible encompassed all of those around us. Our friends, family, coworkers, church members, acquaintances, strangers, and yes, our neighbors. So if we substitute our modern use of the word love to agape, the description leaves no room for it to be anything less than attending to the needs of others. Our guide for how to love, to, or for how to love each other comes from 1 Corinthians 13. If you'll go to the next slide, please. The first one, love is patient. Why is it so much easier to show patience to strangers than we do our friends, our spouses, our children, or our parents? Even when things are not done our way, we need to learn to be patient. We need to take the time to communicate without becoming defensive. Asking rather than assuming we know what the other person is thinking can help to improve and strengthen our relationships. Number two, love is kind. Kindness is often overlooked. Taking the time to pay attention to others is crucial to healthy relationships. If we take the time to notice what people are doing around us, it will become apparent when people are hurting, struggling, juggling, or just busy. This is our opportunity to show kindness by doing something for them. Kindness is not something you can show when you are only focused on your own needs. It requires thinking of others. You could just go the whole time and not talk to anybody and don't have to be kind, right? When you're talking to someone, it requires you to do the action. Love does not envy. Contentedness. Learning to be secure, comfortable, and contented with where we are and what we have alleviates the need for jealousy in our life. Envy poisons a relationship as well as your heart. 
and consequently to be happy for others and what they have and for their success can strengthen and fortify a relationship. Love does not boast. Humility goes hand in hand with contentedness. When we are comfortable and happy with where we are and what we have, we don't need to brag about it. Love is not proud. There are different ways to have pride, which can be good and bad. But when pride becomes the most important thing in our life, it becomes a stumbling block. When we put aside our pride, acknowledge our mistakes, apologize, and ask forgiveness, we can bridge chasms of conflict to maintain healthy relationships. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. One of the deepest ways we can love others is to help them succeed in their lives. This occurs at different levels depending on the relationship. As a friend, it is important to be supportive and encouraging in daily life. True friends don't show affection when they're together and then talk about their faults behind their back. Spouses committed to Christ-like love should show trust and kindness to one another, not manipulation or abuse for self-serving reasons. In a number of relationship contexts, Christ-like love is displayed when we support, encourage, and, that word again, prefer the other person. Love is not easily angered and does not keep record of wrongs. Forgiveness is a hard concept. Everyone is hurt by someone at some point in life. It's crucial to learn to forgive wrongs and to not bring those wrongs back up. We don't forgive and then keep bringing it up. Well, remember that one time? You remember that one time? So Jesus equates our love of forgiving with God's forgiveness of us in the model prayer when he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a tall order, but we must learn to forgive at the level that God forgives us. Remember, we don't forgive up to seven times. We forgive up to 77 times. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Truth, when given in love, is the basis of every relationship. In our relationships, we must be honest and truthful. The closer the relationship, the greater the emphasis on transparency. With acquaintances or even friends, it's not necessary to share every aspect of your life, but when relationships become more intimate, such as in marriage, being honest includes not hiding things from your spouse and being open in a more vulnerable way. Vulnerability fosters intimacy, and without it, a relationship's health is jeopardized. So we want to create an environment of safety where you can be open with each other. Love always protects and always trusts. Protecting a relationship means creating an environment where the other person feels safe. When we feel safe, we trust that our friend or spouse has our best interest at heart. We must believe and act with the conviction that the other person is for us. When we question and distrust the other person's motives, the relationship becomes compromised. All of these pieces, honesty, forgiveness, encouragement, humility, and so on, work together to create an environment that is safe and builds trust within our relationships. And conversely, if any one of these things is missing, trust is often the first thing that is lost. And last but not least, love always hopes and always perseveres. Real love does not give up. What a comfort. <laughs> Amen. What a comfort. Circumstances may change, but when we care for someone, we must continue to have faith. Just as God will always love us, we must continue to show our love for others. If you go to the next slide. 
Paul establishes the necessity of love in his opening paragraph. He follows this with a description of the character of love and ends with the permanence of love. He then challenges the Corinthians to pursue love in chapter 14, right after that in verse 1, and put others' needs before their own. And one more tidbit that I think is important to know is that this chapter falls between 12 and 14, obviously. But in 12 and 14, Paul addresses the gifts of the Spirit. The individual expression of gifts or talents had created conflicts in the church body. And the Corinthians had begun to individualize worship instead of gathering as a corporate body. Paul was quick to note that the gifts, when done without love, are empty. I pray that we never reach the point that we can't meet as a group or that we lack the effectiveness of our gifts due to not being able to love each other. We're going to move on to section three. If you will follow me in your packet there. Boundaries for safe relationships. If you could go to the next slide, please. So Proverbs 27, 12 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Another translation reads, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So we're just going to fill out question number one. What will the wise do when confronted with a dangerous situation? Hide. Just one word answer there, hide. So as 1 Corinthians, oh, I forgot to do our, our section. I'm so sorry. Um, our blanks there are not every relationship should be fostered in our life. Having love for others does not mean allowing them to hurt or use us. As we seek God for wisdom and compassion, we learn to set healthy boundaries with people who are self-centered or seek their own good. So hurt and boundaries are your blanks there. So as 1 Corinthians 13 states, we need to forgive. However, this does not mean we should continually put ourselves in harm's way. What scripture means is that in the context of safe, healthy relationships, we release offense and we pursue peace rather than competition, strife, or any tendencies that lead to conflict. One important part of a successful Christian relationship is being able to identify when you need to set boundaries. The more self-aware you are and the more you define and maintain your boundaries, the greater your capacity to offer empathy and love to others. You might be in a relationship where you are following the guidance in 1 Corinthians 13, but the other person is not. His or her actions may be self-centered and self-focused, which does not create the safe and loving environment that a healthy relationship requires. While each situation is unique and should be navigated prayerfully, boundaries are a fundamental means of ensuring relational health. People often misinterpret passages of scripture that tells us to turn the other cheek or to do good to those who hate you. Sometimes assuming these verses require Christians to allow others to use, manipulate, or harm them. According to this perspective, to be a good Christian means to be a doormat for others to walk upon. This is simply not true. Jesus never taught or expected his followers to allow themselves to be harmed or to stay in harmful situations. In fact, many examples throughout the Bible reflect the importance of having good boundaries and staying away from those who seek to harm us. As noted in Proverbs 27:12, the wise see danger, 
and take refuge, but the simple seek trouble and suffer for it. Next slide, please. As noted in the classic book Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, boundaries help us determine who is responsible for what behavior. Each person in a relationship must take responsibility for his or her own feelings, attitudes, behaviors, choices, limits, thoughts, values, talents, and love. We choose these responses regardless of what the other person in the relationship chooses to do. You are responsible for you and how you love. It does not matter what the other person does or how they act. You have to make up in your mind how you will show agape to others. Jesus was the best example of having good boundaries. He taught and exemplified how to say no to inappropriate behavior from others. When he was weary, he left the crowds and found rest in solitude in Luke 5. He escaped and did not subject himself to an angry mob attempting to throw him off a cliff in Luke 4. He did not indulge in the unhealthy behavior of baiting and manipulation, such as when the Pharisees tried to instigate arguments in Matthew 21 and 22, and when his own disciples wanted Jesus to become a political ruler and create government positions for them in Matthew 20. He didn't even allow his own mother to dictate his direction when she wanted to take him away from ministry for her own agenda in Matthew 12. Jesus exemplified boundaries in all aspects of his life and ministry. He is an example for us in choosing wisely when entering personal relationships with others. Sometimes we will need godly counsel to make decisions about ending friendships or relationships that are unhealthy. And sometimes we need to simply set boundaries even in long-term relationships. As Christians, we should strive to love others and to show them the grace and forgiveness of God through our example. But we must also be wise about when to withdraw from those who seek to harm us, either mentally, emotionally, or physically. We're going to go on to section four. The responsibilities within relationships. So a paragraph there says, conflict within a relationship is inevitable. Inevitable. It's going to happen. And Marky's nodding. Yes, yes, ma'am, it is. <laughs> conflict within a relationship is inevitable. We are responsible for investing in our relationships, growing together, and enduring difficult times. Enduring difficult times. This commitment results in deeply connected bonds and people in our lives who will help us when we are in need. If you go to the next slide, please. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So question one in your packet says, what should a person do when a friend falls? We should lift them up. Lift them up. Amen. And question number two, what is not easily broken? A threefold cord. I'll ask you to do three and four on your own. 
So while boundaries are crucial for healthy relationships, and such boundaries sometimes involve withdrawing from unsafe people outside of those scenarios, our approach to relationships must be to serve, love, and care for others. The writer of Ecclesiastes celebrated the power of connected people and the benefits of relationships. Whether spouses, siblings, church family members, or friends from our community, the people in our lives can help us in profound ways, and we can do the same for them. We are dependent on others. We need each other. We cannot do this life alone. We implement boundaries as needed, but our overarching responsibility is to love others. Forgive the one who wronged you. Apologize to those you've wronged. Work on yourself and your relationship with the Lord. The commitment to love is easily stated, but sometimes difficult to live out. We must have a commitment to endure, to stick it out during times when things aren't perfect. There are tools that can help us take responsibility in our relationships. We can apply the Bible passages that we've studied tonight. We can also look to relationships in the Bible as examples of what we should and shouldn't do. We have David and Jonathan, Samson and Delilah, the Good Samaritan, Ruth and Naomi, Moses and Aaron, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Mary, the prodigal son and his father, and keep going. <laughs> Plenty of relationships to pull from from the Bible of what is good and bad. If you're needing help navigating a difficult relationship, prayerfully consider the next step. You can also reach out to a counselor or advisor on how to approach the situation. There are many, many resources on communication, on love, how to be a better friend, etc. A couple that I've personally used and that have helped me to demonstrate this love, be a better friend, wife, sister, daughter, and overall communicator are two different tests. And I'm going to share those with you. I was trying to find the books, but I ran out of time. They're in our house somewhere. Um, if you go to the next slide, please, Rex. So the first one, you probably all heard of it, the five love languages. This is mostly used in um, marriages for spouses. There's five different love languages on how we give and receive love. It's words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. So mine is words of affirmation. So if you're ever wanting to give me something, just write me a card. I keep, like, every card that I get. Rex doesn't like it, but it's fine. It's all right. We're, we're going on. <laughs> Um, but I always tell him, you know, for our anniversary and my birthday, just from having a bad day, I'm like, can you just write me a letter? Can you just write me a card? Um, but that's how I receive love. And I love giving gifts. That's my favorite way to show love. I love searching for a gift and figuring out what the person needs or, or might want, and they didn't know I was listening to what they wanted. But this book, if you want to purchase it, purchase it and take the test, will show you how you receive love. The second one is on the next slide, and it's, we did it at the marriage conference a couple years ago. Um, it's called The Real, Real Colors, and since doing this at the marriage conference, I've done it with my students, I've done it with coworkers. Um, Rex and I still use it like, oh, you're such a gold right now. Oh, you're being such a green. So you take this test, and it tells you what color you are and how you communicate. So this is for everybody. It's a really useful to tool, and if you want to learn more about it, you know, come to me. I'll get it, I'll get it for you. Um, if you want to do it for your family, for your marriage, for your coworkers, um, they do like seminars and stuff, but it's uh, how to talk to people um, and how to approach conflict with them. And it's really, really useful. So just FYI, those are just two resources, but there's so many out there. So we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to read my conclusion and we're going to 
pray and be out of here. So relationships are complex and challenging. It's not unusual to have tension or difficult spots, even for Christians. We are not perfect. We have to work on ourselves and these areas of love set out for us. God commanded us to love just as he commanded us not to kill, not to lie. Why do we insist on following those actions but disregard love so easily? It should be woven into our core to love like Jesus and, and love like Jesus to all those around us. In addition to applying these practices and establishing our boundaries, we must commit to working through conflict or tough times. That commitment involves the principles of communication that we've previously discussed. It also means, imp imp mm. I knew I was going to mess this up, empathizing, empathizing, there we go. It also means empathizing with the other person, seeing the relationship through their eyes, trusting their motives, and acting in love. The results are the creation of bonds that cannot be easily broken and friendships that lift us up when we fall. I want to challenge you tonight to be better at showing agape towards those around you. Leave tonight and do the homework. Take time to prayerfully consider the areas of your character that need improvement and then do the work. Don't just say, okay, I need to work on this. Work on it. I want to love like Jesus. Like the old song says, I want to love, love till there's just no more love, for I can never, never outlove the Lord. I hope the lessons in this study tonight will give you, and me, the tools to love better. As a famous quote says, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you'll stand with me at this time, we'll close in prayer. Thank you for your attention tonight. We got out here at 7.59, so timed it just right. <laughs> if you will uh, pray with me at this time. Lord God, we thank you for being together. We thank you for another opportunity to come together just to have fellowship, Lord, and to learn more of you and how we should be as a follower of Christ. Lord, I ask that this congregation, myself included, would apply the lessons from here tonight as we venture forth and as we love each other and show that love throughout this church family, but also in the relationships in our lives. I ask for protection for everyone on their way home. Bring us back on Sunday to have a great Mother's Day and a great service as we celebrate all of our moms. We give you glory and praise. We thank you for everything you've given us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.